kusha kamati aka andarola mohusha kadia ote tatoto rikamamati andale kyoto sate endarid hia modia kashikandai from mabatai yandari akunda hi shamabadia tato say my children my word is powerful my word is powerful my children i speak again to you concerning its strength. Have I not written that it is forever settled? If I was so sure to write, and if I was so sure to put it in simple words for you to read, and then declare that it is settled. And choose not to change any of it. But rather choose to allow it to remain as long as there is a heaven and an earth. Then I want to reaffirm to you tonight. I am sure that it works. And I ask of you tonight to take your faith. Explore into my spirit. Let your hope rest in me. In your own mind. As you communicate with me. Determine with me what your ministry is to be. And then pursue it with confidence and faith. If I am standing with you, why should you fear? If your hand is in my hand, how can you fail? Write all of my failures and bring them to me. And we will consider them together. But you know very well you would have only empty pages. For I have never, never failed. I am the God that stands. I always stood. And I always will. And to me every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Don't be afraid to accept my leadership, saith the Lord. We appreciate the ministry of Brother Grant. We want him to bless our hearts today with the word of the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Brother Rutherford. And I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews 11. We're going to take it a little slower. This morning, what we usually do on Sunday morning. Now, this will be in the form of a Bible study, but I feel that this is what the Lord wants us to talk about. Praise God. You get accustomed to things being a certain way, and uh, we always have the mic on this side, and we've changed it over, and I'm going to have to change it back, I guess. 
I talked to you Thursday evening from Hebrews 11, and of course we were just preaching the Word, taking Scripture after Scripture and going through it this morning. I'd like to just call your attention to a few Scriptures throughout the uh, 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, throughout the 11th chapter. It starts out by saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Now when it says elders, it's speaking of Old Testament elders and saints. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We'll just stop there. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was translated, and we'll stop there. Verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, and we'll stop there. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. So we stop there. Verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And we stop there. Verse 13, All these died in faith, not having received the promises. In other words, God made promises to these people. But he was actually making promises to the human race and of something that was to come. These people died before the day in which it actually arrived. All right. Then we turn and we read verse 20. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Notice this. Things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. The Bible tells us that Moses was one who was reared in Pharaoh's palace by Pharaoh's daughter. But the Bible says that he chose rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction with the children of God or the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for seizing esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto to the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt. The Bible speaks of the Passover that was offered by faith. Verse 30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down. Verse 31, by faith the heart at Rahab perished not with them that believed not. When she had received the spies with peace. 
He speaks of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel in verse 32. Now, verse 33, Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of a sword, out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant and fight, turn to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in the sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Verse 40, God having provided some better thing for us. Let's say the word us. Us. Now Paul was no doubt the writer of the book of Hebrews. He lived on this side of Calvary. The other people lived on the other side of the cross. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Praise God. You may be seated. Now the Bible speaks of this promise. When Jesus was here, he spoke of the promise of the Father in Luke 24. So if you'll take and turn there with me. In the period of time that I have to expound upon the word of the Lord, it is most difficult to choose the scriptures that will do the work. I appreciate so much the power of the word of the Lord, but sometimes it's hard for me to put everything into a message that I like to put into one. But we trust and pray that this morning you will certainly receive something from this Bible lesson. Verse 46 of Luke 24, Jesus begins to give the Great Commission. Now the Great Commission is given in Matthew the 28th chapter, it's given in Mark the 16th chapter, and then it's given in Luke the 24th chapter. Now, it is most vital for you, if you're interested in what the Bible has to say, it's most vital that you take all the evidences of a particular subject and you compile those evidences and draw a conclusion only after you have completed your list of all the evidences. Now, that is very, very important. If you go into a doctor and you're sick, he wants to know what the symptoms of the sickness are. 
And he wants to know all of them. Are you running a fever? Do you have a headache? We'll check your blood pressure. Have you had a loss of appetite? Have you been nauseated? He asks you so many questions and you wonder why in the world so many questions. Well, see, he's compiling a list of symptoms or evidences in which he can determine the nature of your problem. Because there are certain sicknesses that come upon you that always, without exception, bring a fever in the body. If you have an infection in the body, someplace in the body you will have a fever. Your temperature will rise. It may arise only in the small area in which you have the infection. Or it may be to the extent that the fever is throughout the body. But uh, it's necessary for him to compile all the evidences. And it's also that way when we search out the truth of the Word of God. It's most unwise for any person to take one scripture and interpret that scripture in the light of their own personal experience or somebody else's personal experience. Now we're going to be talking about the promise of the Father this morning. And I think that this is so very, very important. You see, if I am wrong in what I am concluding, then somebody needs to come and say, Brother Grant, you're very narrow-minded. You're not, you're not considering all the evidences. But we trust that you will even broaden my study by taking in consideration other scriptures because we will not be able to conclude the complete report of the Scripture in the period of time in which we have this morning. Now, no doubt, if you're a guest here, you have detected, if you've never been in a Pentecostal church before, that things are not on the level in which they are conducted in other churches. Now, you may have been to some church in which things seem to be very similar. But you know very well, if you have been attending an ecclesiastical type church, that there is a world of difference in the way we worship, the way we sing. Our doctrine is different. And you owe it to yourself to take a close look in the word of the Lord. Now, I talked to a lady one time, and she was a member of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, she told me after service, she said, Well, uh, I don't really think it makes any difference what you believe or where you go to church. And she said, You know, the truth of the matter is, I don't see one bit of difference between your church and my church. Now, <clears throat> I can assure you Either she doesn't have a very long memory or she hasn't been to church in a long time. Because, you know, and I'm not saying this in a, in a slanderous way toward the Roman Catholic Church, but you know there is a vast difference in the way we conduct a worship service and the way that's conducted. Uh, 
in a Sunday Mass at a Catholic church. Now you know there's a difference. And if you can't see the difference, then there's something drastically wrong upstairs. You know that. You know. Now, I am not here to say that everything they do is wrong. Any more than I'm here to say that everything we do is right. Because occasionally I see a few things around here I don't think is quite right. Amen. Now, Jesus opened the understanding of the apostles toward the scriptures. That's so necessary. I like the theme that Search for Truth has. When you open your Bible, you open your heart. And that's so necessary. So necessary. Open your heart when you open your Bible. Because God wants to do a work in you. He wants to do a work in me. Now, we're just kidding ourselves if we think we're going to walk down the roads of life forever. Life on this planet Earth will stop for all of us someday. And... You must give consideration somewhere along life's road to eternity if you want to be saved. Now, there are a lot of people who don't really care whether they're saved or not because they don't believe there's anything after death. Of course, I'm just old-fashioned enough to believe what the Bible says. Now, Jesus says... That there is life after death. And he also says there is death after death. The second death. In which people will be cast into the lake of fire. That burneth with fire and brimstone forever and forever and forever. Now you don't hear much about this you know. We wanted to get our Harvest Time program on the radio. And I went to three or four different radio stations. They said, as long as it's not a hellfire and brimstone message or a hellfire and brimstone preacher, we don't like that. Well, I told them right away because it's true. I said, well, you're going to hear hellfire and brimstone. They said, well, we don't want it. Now, we were offering to pay money, good money, for the program. But they said, no doing. We finally put put our uh, program on WMAD, and it cost us uh, about three or $400 a month. I don't remember. It's in the neighborhood, three to $400 a month. But the man over there, he took the opposite. He said, we don't care what you say about who or when or where. Just give us the money. (laughs) We're in this for money. (laughs) Praise God. Now you may say, why would you jeopardize your reputation to preach about hell? Because I feel indebted to endorse the things that Jesus 
Jesus jeopardized his reputation to endorse and preach. See, Jesus talked about hell much more than he talked about heaven. See. But in talking about hell, he didn't just leave people hanging without hope. He gave them a message of hope and what they needed to hear in order to be saved. He opened their understanding. He said unto them, verse 46, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Hebrews 11 says the Old Testament saints did not receive that promise. Okay. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted up from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And were continual in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Okay. Now. The Bible says that Jesus told them that repentance and remission of sins would be preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Now he said, I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. He said, now go into Jerusalem and tarry until you be endued with power from on high. So the Bible says that they went into Jerusalem with great joy. In other words, they were happy when they heard about the promise of the Father. They were happy. Now a lot of people, when they hear it, they're not so happy. Why? Because they're too ingrained in traditionalism, religiously speaking. And people just don't like to be uprooted. You see, sometimes when you preach the message, you absolutely confuse people. Now you may say, what do you mean confuse? You confuse people. Confuse simply means you break the regular continuity. Here's continuity right here. My fingers are joined in a straight line to each other. Confusion means that you break the continuity. So now, there's no continuity in my fingers, right? So that's what confusion actually means. That's what takes place in your mind. You see? And because people have a particular continuity of thought, even though it be in false doctrine or, should I say something's not the truth, there is a continuity. And when you preach the word of the Lord, Jesus said, I came not to bring peace among you, but a sword or division. Now the reason why he said it at this particular time, he said, I've got to break that continuity of traditionalism. In other words, before you confuse people, Fuse them, that is, lock them in to the truth. You must confuse them. So my preaching may be confusing. <laughs> and I'm not saying that as a cover-up. But some of you may go away today with your mind so boggled down. You may say, my, never in my life 
heard anything like that. <clears throat> but it's good that we have a starting point. <clears throat> Praise God. All right. Now, <clears throat> they went into Jerusalem. The Bible says, where did they go? They were continuing in the temple, praising and blessing God. Now, over in Jerusalem, the Jews have a place which they call the upper room. If you've ever visited Jerusalem, they take you into the upper room. They said, this is where the Holy Ghost was first poured out. Now, the reason why they do that is because they understand that Christians can make that association with Acts, the second chapter. The truth of the matter is the Jews don't believe in the Holy Ghost. And secondly, the upper room was in the temple, according to the Scripture. And the temple was destroyed in 33 A.D. You may say, well, why do they tell all this and everything? Because they're, they're great merchants. And they like your money. <clears throat> and they know that it's a story that you like to hear. You know, this is where the Holy Ghost was first poured out. Friend, that place was destroyed in 70 A.D. They were in the temple, the Bible said. They continued in the temple. The upper room was making reference to the upper room of the temple. Now, we will show you, however, what happened in the upper room. In Acts, the second chapter, and we go there. <clears throat> and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them clothing tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now this was the promise of the Father that was to come upon them. See? This was the promise of the Father. Now all I want to do at this time is just interject a question. Have you received the promise of the Father? Now you may say well, that's not for us today. Now Paul in Hebrews 11 is saying for all of us who live on this side of Calvary, it's for us. Now the Old Testament saints, he said, now these were great people. Look at Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord moved upon him, he tore down the temple. He took the gates of Gaza and placed them out on a hillside. They made sport of the Philistines. Look at Noah, who built the ark. Nail after nail after nail, or however he put it together. 120 years. He was a great man of faith. Daniel went in the lion's den. He was a great man of faith. But Paul stresses very plainly, these people did not have the Holy Ghost. And what we have today is better. You may say better. The Bible says he, he, he preserved or he saved a better thing for us. And you know, if God says it's better, it's got to be better. See? And, and this is why that you need to understand. Acts 20, 28 tells us that Christ purchased the church with the shedding of His blood. And invariably when you tell people they need the Holy Ghost and they need to be baptized in Jesus' name and such. Now, there's several arguments that people need. I mean, people use. But one argument that more people use than you've ever seen. They say, well, the thief on the cross that died by Jesus' side, had a deathbed repentance. He was never baptized. He never received the Holy Ghost. He didn't speak with tongues like they did in Acts, the second chapter, 
Oh, and by the way, you know, if you're here and you haven't heard anybody speaking in tongues around you, now don't be alarmed if you leave and you don't. But on the other hand, don't be alarmed if you do. Because our people do receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost just like they did in Acts the second chapter. And I'll tell you what, it may sound strange to you, but it's a far better assuring uh, uh, experience to know that you have something that you can prove by the Bible and not just something that you, that you receive that, that has been handed down through tradition and you can trace your experience all the way back to 67 A.D. I can trace mine back to 33 A.D. I mean, where the church was first born. See? All the way back where the church was first born. Now, the thief on the cross lived on the other side of Christ's death. There had never been blood appropriated for his salvation. See, Christ is the completion of the law. This man couldn't have talked in tongues if he wanted to. If he'd had faith to, he could not have. Why? That's answered in the scripture. John, the seventh chapter, verse 37. On that great day of the feast, Jesus stood crying, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Thus spake he of the Spirit, which they should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Why? You... You know, you couldn't have, no way could you have gotten him down and had an altar service with him and had him to speak in tongues. You could have poured oil on his head, laid hands upon him, and done everything that you knew to do, but you couldn't have gotten him to speak in tongues. Why? Because the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The blood of Jesus Christ that purchased the New Testament church was not yet shed. He lived under a different dispensation or a different time frame. So when you talk about the thief on the cross, you might as well be talking about Adam in the garden. Because they were both on the other side of Calvary. You've got to go back to the period of time in which they lived. And find out what the covenant was with man at that particular time to find out what he needed to do to be saved. Well, I had somebody to quote to me, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you know that that scripture is not making reference that, that, that God has always had the very same way for people to be saved in all ages. Now, you know Adam and Eve were saved simply by not eating the forbidden fruit. But they ate it. Cain and Abel were offering up sacrifices on altars made of stone. Abraham was manifesting faith in God. 
and of His promises to come and didn't stagger at those promises. Moses and the children of Israel under the law were offering up sacrifices for atonement. But after Christ completed that law, it's been faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His works upon Calvary. That's what we want to talk to you about. Now, they received the Holy Ghost. They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Now, the Bible says that all the people who gathered there, the different nationalities, in verse 12, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What's this all about? I'm just going to put it in in vernacular that you can understand. I said, What in the world is taking place here? See, these people gathered at the Feast of Pentecost. Now, the Feast of Pentecost, the word Pentecost actually means 50th. The 50th day after the resurrection. Here they gathered. Now, they they were gathered there, people from all the nations who were uh, Jewish by faith. Uh, they, some of them were Jewish proselytes, so they were not Jewish by bloodline or by descent, but... Uh, they were, they had been proselyted into the faith. They heard every man speaking in the tongue wherein they were born. They knew that something spectacular was happening. They said, what in the world is this all about? Now notice what happened. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. In other words, they were saying, these people are just absolutely acting like they're drunk. See? One uh, lady who recently visited one of our apostolic churches she came in and the the church service started and you talking about a flood of god's glory that came down and people began to worship the lord and some of them got up and and walked the aisles and they praised the lord and some of them danced in the spirit and uh, i mean they really they were really having a good worship service And, and the preacher preached and such and after the service this sophisticated type woman who had come to service this is what she had to say She said, I have never in my life seen anything like this. Never. She said, I drove up, and all of these perfectly normal-looking people drove up in normal-looking cars. I mean, some of them were old, and some of them were new. It looked so average. She said, I got out. The people came by and shook my hand. They, They appeared to be perfectly normal. everything seemed to be right. And she said, I walked down to this perfectly normal looking church. I went inside and she said, everybody shook my hand in a very normal way. And she said, then a gentleman got up and started the song service. And she said, I'm here to tell you, this is the first time I've ever seen in my life Perfectly normal looking cars bring perfectly normal looking people to a perfectly normal looking church. And to go inside and see these perfectly normal looking people act so abnormal. Never seen that in my life, she said. It's just like they went to pieces. And she said, I couldn't understand that. Well, that lady was touch of the Lord. She wanted to know more about it. I don't know what her experience is as of today. But now what happened was, they said, these people are drunk. Now what happened, 
Peter said, now wait a minute. This is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that thus saith God in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. Now what I'm trying to point out to you is that since Jesus Christ ascended into the heavens from 33 A.D. until 1983, April 17th, we have lived under the church age or the dispensation of grace where God is pouring out His Spirit upon people. And you need to take a careful look in the Scripture to find out if your experience is as God intended for it to be in the, in the Scripture. Now the reason why is this, okay? Because you see, some people, well, if you go to a church and ask, do you believe in the new birth? They will all say, yes. Why? Because the Bible says you must be born of water and a spirit. John 3, or ye cannot. In other words, people realize that there is a, not a remote possibility of you going to heaven without being born again. Now, why do they realize that? Because Jesus said it. But if there is not a remote possibility of you going to heaven without being born again, then there is not a remote possibility of you making it unless you are born as He said you ought to be born. So you don't just accept anything. Don't be gullible and swallow everything hook, line, and sinker. Brother Brian, come here just a minute. <clears throat> okay. Sister Joyce, come here just a minute. Okay. Brother Roger, come here just a minute. <clears throat> and stand up here. Stand close enough. Now, I have been to many churches. I want to show you how they receive the Holy Ghost in some churches. Okay? All right. <clears throat> this boy is 12. <laughs> He's just being confirmed. And I say, congratulations, Brian. Upon your confirmation, God has granted you eternal life through the Holy Spirit. Okay? <clears throat> and Jesus blessed them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. You have just received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. You may now enter into eternal life with Jesus the Christ. <clears throat> What is your name, sir? Roger Weekly. Roger Weekly. Do you accept the Lord as your personal Savior? I say yes. <laughs> He's one of those doubters. He accept you accept the Lord as your personal Savior. God bless you. The Lord has just filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Okay. <clears throat> Now, isn't this beautiful? I mean, now you may say, now, Pastor, you're making monkery. No, I'm not. I'm trying to show you something that's real. If you went to three different churches in this city, this is the way they would teach it to be. Now, you cannot find any of this in the New Testament.
I say you cannot find any of this in the New Testament. Now, if you can't find it in the Bible that way, pray tell me why do people want to practice it that way? Now, you may be seated. Now, we could take, we could go all the way back to the very back, and we could show you the various ways in which people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Some of them receive it when they're sprinkled, when they're infants. By the way, you can't find that in the Bible either. You may say, you're making a real attack. I owe it to every person who hears me today to tell you what the Bible says relative to being born again. I say, I owe it to you. Now, you see, the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints had a walk with God. I mean, they had a genuine walk with God. But they didn't have the Holy Ghost. And some people feel today, simply because that they felt something, that they must be saved. If you ask them, how do you know that you're saved? They say, well, I just felt something. Well, I have to, have, I have to accept it by faith. Now, I understand that you accept everything by faith. I understand that. You will never receive the Holy Ghost. But on the other hand, can you take that which you have accepted by faith and pinpoint it in the Scripture and say, this is what I have accepted by faith? Can you do that? In view of the fact that God begins to deal with people a long time before they're actually born again, some people, because that they have not been instructed, according to the Scripture, misinterpret that dealing. And they feel simply because that God has dealt with them, God has talked with them, and they have talked to God that they must be saved. I can show you scriptural examples where people talked with God, prayed to God, and had an experience with God that was not a Bible experience. When I say a Bible, I'm talking about the new birth experience. It was a Bible experience they received, but it wasn't a saving experience. It led them to that place in which they received a Bible saving experience, but it was not that saving experience itself. Now, Romans the 8th chapter tells us, and we will be going back to Acts, this second chapter, right after this, but Romans the 8th chapter tells us, in verse 9, But ye are not in the flesh. Now, that we all have flesh. Do you have flesh? How many of you can see your hands? See, we got flesh. See, when he says you're not in the flesh, he's simply saying you do not follow the order of the flesh. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. You don't just do what the flesh tells you to do. Why? Because the flesh must be subject to the spirit that's in you. So you're not of the flesh, but in the spirit. And if so be... That the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now, we want to point out something here that, that perhaps will really help, help you, and I, I trust that it will. Now, in Acts, the second chapter, when they received the Holy Ghost, these people who had heard the apostles and the 120 in the upper room speaking in other tongues, they said, what is all of this about? Peter preached unto them the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord. And then he said uh, that uh, God had made that same Jesus of whom you crucified both Lord and Christ in verse 36. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. Notice what he said that they needed to do in order to be saved. Number one, repent. My question is, have you really repented? That's asking God to forgive you. Have you turned away from your sin and iniquity? Have you asked God to cleanse you from unbelief and fear and such? Repentance is just simply turning around. Have you ever been going down the freeway someplace and you realize I'm on the wrong road? And you seek for an exit so you can turn around? And you see, that's what happens when the Bible says repent. You're not on the straight and the narrow. You're on the broad way that's leading to destruction. And all of a sudden God says you're on the wrong road. And you seek for an exit so that you can turn around go back the other way. That's what repentance is. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remissions of sins. Now notice in Luke 24, he said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. He was talking about baptism. They're going to preach baptism in my name, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So when they said, what must we do? Peter didn't say Let's confirm you. Peter didn't say accept the Lord as your personal Savior. Peter didn't say we're going to give you a little tap on the cheek and you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Now, he didn't go through all that. He didn't say, well, at your first communion service, you'll receive remission of sins. Please understand, I am not here trying to sling mud at denominations. But friend, if this issue was important to God, you need to hear it. And if it's important to God, it's important to me. You see, Paul said, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. Why? Because people won't be saved. But if a woe would be pronounced upon Peter or Paul simply because he refused to preach the gospel, how much more would it be pronounced upon people who wouldn't hear it once it was preached? Now notice, he said, repent, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 39, for the promise Jesus was not yet glorified. 
The thief on the cross died with faith in God, having not received a promise. Why? Because Jesus had not shed his blood. He had not been placed in the tomb. He had not been resurrected. He had not been glorified. And the Holy Ghost was not yet given. He couldn't have talked in tongues if he'd have wanted to. Why? Because he lived on the other side of the cross, friend. But you see, we don't live on the other side of the cross. We live on the grace side of the cross. We live on the Holy Ghost side of the cross. Praise God. And in this particular day and hour that we live in, the Bible says the promise is unto you, Brother Brian. Not only unto you, but to your children, and to your children's children, and to your children's children's children, and to all that are far off. In other words, it started all the way back at Jerusalem. He was saying to those people, this promise is unto all of you, the 13 different nationalities that hear my voice, but not only to, unto you, but to your children, and to your children's children, and to all those that are far off April 17, 1983 in Madison, Wisconsin. It's for the residents of the city. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now, here is something in, in Romans 8 chapter that we need to take a careful look at. Romans 8, verse 9. But you're not in the flesh... And of course we're talking we told you that he was talking about men carnally minded. You can search that out. Chapter verse five through verse eight. But in the Spirit, and if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now the Spirit of God must dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, now notice how he uses the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ kind of interchangeably here. Now there is a reason why that they did this, because the apostles believed that there was only one Spirit. Only one Spirit. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, <clears throat> verse 4 and verse 5, explains this. Now we could go on and on and on in, in this, but Ephesians 4 there is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Now, the Father is a spirit. Is that right? And he said, that spirit of the Father is in you. Now, Paul says that the Spirit of Christ is in you. But then he also uses the phrase, the Spirit of God. Now, why could he just interchange these terms like, because there's only one Spirit. Now, the apostles were very, very careful in the writing of the New Testament to explain that there's only one Spirit. Now, you can read... 1 Corinthians 12. Let's just turn there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. 
And no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now one preacher told me right in my office not too long ago, it must have been a year ago now, he said anybody that can say that Jesus is Lord, that constitutes salvation. As long as you can say it. And he says, I say that Jesus is Lord. And when I first said that, that's when I, that's how I was saved. Well, I pointed out to him that in Luke the 6th chapter, verse 46, and Matthew the 7th chapter, verse 21, Jesus said, not every man that saith Lord, Lord shall enter therein. How can you call me Lord? And do not the things that I command thee to do. Now, some people say that he's Lord. But see, that's not what Paul was saying. No man can call him Lord but by the Holy Ghost. You see, the Holy Ghost brings revelation. And while you may say he's Lord, you can't truthfully call him Lord and he can't be your Lord until the revelation has come to you. Now, Paul goes on and explains about spiritual gifts. Now, notice this, verse, verse uh, 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. Okay? And there are diversities of administration, or differences of administration, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of operation, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. You see there was a tendency among some of the New Testament Christians to believe that they had a little bit more than others. Why? Because of their heathen backgrounds. That's why Paul says, Ye were Gentiles brought into the faith, but at one time you were carried away by these dumb idols. See, the Grecians had filled the world with the idea that there were many gods. Read the story of Paul on Mars Hill. They believed there were many, 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 many gods. And the Bible declares there's only one God. Only one. And they had a hard time accepting that upon various occasions. And so Paul, writing these people who were Gentiles, who had this particular background, he makes it very plain. But by the same Spirit. You only have, there's only one Spirit. There's only one Spirit. See, some people believe they receive Christ in their heart and then get the Holy Ghost later. Now, you don't receive Christ in your heart and get the Holy Ghost later. I'm sorry, that's just not Bible vernacular. That is in contradiction to the Scripture. That is just in contradiction to the Scripture. Now let me show you something just the opposite of this. Okay? Now the Apostle Paul was a man who believed in God. Even prior to his conversion, he was strong 
in monotheism. Now, monotheism means the doctrine of the one God. They said the Jews believed only in one God. While the Gentiles believed in many, the Jews believed in one. Do you know the reason why the Jews would not accept Jesus? He, being a man, maketh himself God. They said we can't connect earthly flesh to our God that we've never seen. And they couldn't make the connection. And that's why they accuse him of blasphemy. Why? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And he forgave sins. See? Oh, we won't accept him. We see him with our eyes. Our God is, is uh, a spirit. And we're not going to accept that this man who's going around forgiving sins and healing people and walking on water and all this, of which the Bible in the Old Testament declares only God can do. Now, we're not going to accept him. That's just it. Now, there was a revelation that came to the Apostle Paul. If you turn me with me to Acts, the ninth chapter. <clears throat> Let's look at the conversion of Paul. And Saul, his name was Saul then, before his name was changed to Paul after he received the Holy Ghost, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Now, why did they want these letters to start with? Because they thought that this movement that started on the day of Pentecost was a false movement. They said, we've got to stop this. These people, why, they're crazy. There's something wrong with them. They're eccentric. We don't accept this as being from God at all. And we're going to stop this. So he saw the letter from the high priest, and he was going to Damascus to the synagogues because they were way up there, and that if he found any of this way, now, all of this way is making reference to that tongue-talking way of the second chapter of the book of Acts. Okay? Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell on the earth. And he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, notice in verse 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? Now, if you can digest what's happening here. Now, here's a man who's dead set against these people who are talking in tongues. He's going up to Damascus with a letter to bring men and women bound back to Jerusalem. We're going to put a stop to all this stuff. There's some wildfire that's been inserted in the Jewish faith. And we don't want to destroy it. Now, he was sincere. He was as honest as he knew how to be. He sincerely wanted to do God's service. He held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen, and Paul later explains that he did it thinking he was doing God a service. I mean, I'm sincere, he said. I, I want to stop that. I want to stop anything that's not of God. But now he understood there was only one Lord. Why? 
Because the pivotal scripture of the Old Testament was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Forty-four times in the book of Isaiah, it's prophesied that God is one. I mean, they believed it. That's why they wouldn't accept Jesus. See, they, they could not conceive in their mind that their earthly Savior, who walked among them, was the God that breathed the world into existence. They, they just couldn't make that, they couldn't get that connection. I just don't understand how that the God that I've never seen can be born uh, of a woman and placed in a stable in a horse trough among all these smelly animals and grew up in a carpenter's shop from Nazareth, the place that's despised. I can't understand that. That's why Peter writes scriptures that seems to be real confusing to some people. He said to the Jews, he was a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And they stumbled at the word. Now, okay, let's just pretend that here's Jesus. Okay, here comes the Jews along. And you see, he's a stumbling stone. They know what they can't. And every place they went, they, they stumbled across Jesus. And they said, man, you're, you're getting in our way. You know, you're, you're bothering us. See, he was a, he's a rock of offense. He's a stumbling stone. I can't, he just couldn't get it through their hard heads that, that their God had the ability to manifest himself in a human form and come among them. So... Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, and when they began to speak in tongues, he connects that Holy Ghost to God who had breathed the world into existence. They said, now this is the Spirit of Christ. I said, huh. Oh, no, we believe in one God, one God, one God. And you see, people have always had trouble with this. The, the Jews will not accept Jesus today because they believe in one God. And largely, the Christian world today has been influenced by past civilizations that believed in many gods. So the Jews won't accept Jesus because they believe in one God, and Christians today don't want to believe what they need to believe about the Bible because they believe in three gods. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Each being co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. Now that's a short but precise definition of the divine trinity. That was not endorsed until 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. Okay, alright, here goes Paul. Okay, now he's on the ground. He's blind, but he hears this voice. And he knows that this voice is somehow connected with God. He says, Who art thou, Lord? He believed in one Lord. In other words, I've got to get this story straight. He'd been troubled about it so long. Now he's blind. He, he understands that the blindness came upon him as a result of something that he's doing wrong. So he says, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now you can see why he asked that. 
Why? Because he was monotheistic in his religion. And what happened here is that God gave him a revelation that Jesus Christ was connected to the God of the Old Testament. See, only God could save. But Peter comes along and says, There is none other name. Acts 4 and 12. His name shall be called Jesus. Luke 1, 31. For he shall save his people from their sins. Praise God. Isn't that a beautiful message? What do you think the word Jesus means? The word Jesus, he shall save. It simply means Jehovah. The self-existing one of the Old Testament. Jehovah has become salvation. Why? Because the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to take away the sin of the world. But John says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the omnipotent God of the past, has manifested Himself in human form. And He has come among us to shed His own blood to take our sin away. Now He went back up into the heavens and then He poured out His Spirit. When you look in the New Testament, you find the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost. The word ghost is in the King James Version. It may not appear in the translation you have today. But the reason why they use the term ghost is because it was a term that they were familiar with in 1609 and 1611 when the King James Version was written. They used it because they thought it fitted the context. Why? Because you see, a ghost is a spirit of a departed one. And Jesus was the departed one. Not only was he the departed one, he was the holy one of Israel. And they used the term Holy Ghost. Jesus was the Holy Departed One. And when His Spirit came back, it was called a ghost. You know, somebody gets killed in a house. And people say, this house is haunted. Their ghost walked right in. Now, we're familiar with that. Well, you see, this is what we're saying today. There was one who was slain, but he arose. And he's not in a grave someplace. I can tell you, he walks right here among us. Can you feel his ghost? Praise God. Can you feel his power? Can you feel his Holy Spirit? Praise God. He is right here. Praise God. Praise God. Now the Bible tells us in the book of John, the Bible tells us that, that no man can come unto God except the Spirit draweth him. And you see, you can feel the Spirit before He actually lives in your heart. Once I was a sinner, but Jesus visited me. Jesus came and knocked upon my heart's door. What do you think he did when he knocked upon my heart's door? He started pulling me, drawing me. 
You see, you can start a communication with God before He inhabits your heart. Before you're born again. But some people, because that theologians and preachers and such tell them otherwise, they think that the first time they feel the tinkling of His Spirit, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. Why? Because I felt Him. Listen, you couldn't get out of your rut of sin and iniquity if God didn't touch you and pull you out of it. You see? Jesus said, No man cometh to me except the, the Spirit. My Father, draw him. That's the Spirit. You see, the Father of Jesus was the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary. I might just point this out, see. People who believe in a trinity, they believe that Jesus was the Son of God, and God was Jehovah. But the Bible says that it was the third person of the trinity, if you want to use that vernacular, that overshadowed Mary when she conceived. So Jesus Christ must have been the Son of the Holy Ghost rather than the Son of the Father. Or the, but I thought He was the Father because... Uh, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? You know, you can't even talk like that without contradicting yourself. Is it important that I believe all this? Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. You see, Jesus is not just so interested in what you do, but He's also interested in what you believe relative to what you do. It's not a mechanical thing. You've got to put your faith in it. I've got to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've got to believe that. I've got to believe that God came and visited the world to take the sin of the world away. I've got to believe that Gabriel couldn't do it. I've got to believe that Michael couldn't do it. I've got to believe that there were none in heaven that were qualified to do it. For he and he alone was pure and sinless. I've got to believe that he possessed the key. Held it in his hand to come and set the sinner free. I've got to believe that. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And so... God has provided some better thing for us. The Old Testament prophets, they felt the Spirit of the Lord. Let me tell you what happened to David. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord descended upon David. He danced in the Spirit. It ascended there. He felt it. He got in front of the Ark of the Covenant that was coming to Jerusalem and literally danced in the Spirit. His wife, Michelle, thought he was crazy. She said, oh, you made a fool of yourself. Upon one occasion, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon David. He ran through a troop and jumped over a wall and fled from the alien armies. That's what happened when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Elijah was a great man of God. He said, it's not going to rain in Israel for three and a half years. And after three and a half years, then there appeared in the, in the sky a, a cloud likened to a man's hand. He said, we're going to have abundance of rain. And I'm going to go back and tell Pharaoh it's going to rain. And somebody hitched up their horses and chariots and, and brought them out. And they said, get on board. Let's go. Hey, it's 20 miles over to where old Ahab is. And he said, no, I can't ride because I'm in a hurry. <laughs> and the Bible says that he ran for 20 miles. I didn't throw the horses and the chariots. Why? The Spirit of the Lord moved upon him. Yeah. 
And you see, this is the reason why that some people can say, well, I got Bible salvation because, woo, what I feel. Well, I appreciate what you feel. And you know why you feel what you feel? Because God is merciful and He's kind. But you see, until you have received the Holy Ghost, as they received in the book of Acts, they received the Holy Ghost and they spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You see, God, all of these died in the faith. Elijah, David, Daniel, all of them, having not received the promise, God having provided some better thing. What's better than having the Spirit of the Lord upon you where you can jump through, uh, run through a troop and jump over a wall? What's better than having the Spirit of the Lord upon you when you can outrun horses and chariots for 20 miles? I'll tell you what's better than that. To have Him inside, living in your heart. Ezekiel prophesied about it. He's going to take the stony heart and He's going to make a heart of flesh. And He's going to live right inside of your heart. Praise God. To know that He, he lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. Praise God. He lives. He lives. I know He lives. Praise God. How do you know He lives? He lives within my heart. Praise God in my heart. Praise God. Jesus said, I am with you now, but I shall be in you. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. You know, the Holy Ghost that, that, that Jesus spoke of on that great day of the feast, he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, he was talking about the Spirit. Thus spake he of the Spirit. That simply means when God gets inside of you, and God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. In other words, he's everywhere at one time. He can do all things at one time. He can see all things at one time. That's inside of you. Praise God. And it springs up as a well of water, springing unto everlasting life. Praise God. You can feel it gushing out of you. Oh, hallelujah. You can feel it running out your fingertips and out your toes. You can feel it running out your eyes and out your mouth. Praise God. Why? Because he's inside of you. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is better than what Daniel had. It's better than what Elijah had. Praise God. It's better than what Moses had. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. It's better than what the three Hebrew children had. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And let me tell you something. Now, and I'm not saying this to be making fun. So please take it in the context of, the, of, of scriptural vernacular. But I don't know of anything in the world that's more gratifying than to kneel down someplace and say, thank you, Lord, for a Bible experience. And as you begin to pray with groanings and, utter, uh, and moanings which cannot be uttered, here it means articulated, the Spirit makes His intercession, for we know not how to pray. You run against something, God, <laughs> I don't know what I'm up against. I don't even know how to pray. I don't know what your will is. <laughs> Paul says, I pray in my spirit. I pray in my understanding also. I sing in the spirit. I sing in the understanding. Praise God. In other words, there comes a time in which it just gushes out of you. It flows out of you. And you speak with tongues for a long duration of time. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful experience. But you see, you don't do it just for fun's sake. That's not it at all. See, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of spirit and of water, he cannot 
enter into the kingdom of God. He said, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Verse 8, thou hearest the sound thereof. But thou canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone. Notice this, everyone. So is everyone that's born of the Spirit. So everyone that's born of the Spirit. He says it's going to come like a wind. Now you're not going to know where it comes from. Why? Because you see, God's everywhere. You see, see, we deal only in planes. You see, if in plane geometry, and then you go into solid geometry, where you're dealing with stuff on three dimension, uh, all you need is, are three factors. If you're going to measure out where Brother Steve is back here, you measure out how far he is from the wall, how far back he is, and how far up he is. And you can find his location. But you see, when Paul writes of the Spirit, he speaks of a fourth dimension. Who can know the height and the breadth and the length and the depth of God? Because you see, God is on a different dimension than us. See, His Spirit, if you take a ball, let's say this is a ball right here, and you slice it on one plane, you can have 360 degrees. But you see, because God is everywhere... If you slice it back this way, you'd have 360. In other words, any angle you choose to go, there is God. And you don't know where it comes from. It might come from above. It may come from a back. It may come from a bottom. All over, God closes in. The wind bloweth where it listeth. Can you hear the wind? They say you can't really hear the wind ever. You only hear the wind as it strikes an earthly object. I hear the wind blowing. Where? Through the trees. That's not the wind you hear. That's the leaves. The wind doesn't have a sound. I hear the wind blowing. Where? Through the screen. No, that's not the wind. That's the screen. And you see, that's what happened in the book of Acts. They spake with other tongues. They, not God people as the spirit gave them the utterance now there's the wind blowing striking the earthly object filling him gushing out of him Whew. praise god friend it's better than communion at 12 and confirmation at seven it's better than a slap on a cheek and a handshake from a preacher Hallelujah. It's Bible. I'm overtime already. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me and lift your hands? Oh, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, glory, 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 glory. Oh, thank you, God. 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 On either side of our pulpit here, there is a place to kneel and pray. And if you are indeed searching for Bible experience, you can receive it this morning. Somebody be glad to step out with you and come and pray with you. One has stepped out already kneeling. I'd like for somebody to come and just kneel and pray with George.
But anybody who's here, whether you remember this church, a guest here, whether we met you before or not, that's totally irrelevant. The Spirit of the Lord is moving here. And that's all right. Praise God. I want to sing the chorus. I feel the Spirit moving. And that's all, that's all right. Praise God. I feel the Spirit moving. And that's all right. Oh, I feel the Spirit moving. And that's all right. Well, I feel the Spirit moving. And that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right.